Hello and welcome. This is on Resistance Radio. I'm X. So I'm going to go around and uh, get everybody's names real fast. Bobby. Hi, it's Jay Ray. And this is Anton. And today we're discussing self-care, coping mechanisms, and healing. How some of us as individuals choose to practice these methods uh, and understand that not every method is for any one other person, but that people have their own strategies and ways that they heal um, themselves. When I think about self-care, I think about just for the last few years, what I've learned from a lot of other people in terms of learning about particular histories of struggle and histories of struggle and choosing certain ways of thinking, critical thinking, and having this kind of critical lens when taking in information or media, trying to practice some sort of decolonization process, because I think that that's important, healing from the effects of so many things that are telling us, or me, that I am less than, or so many of like capitalist, like white supremacist values are kind of imposed on our bodies. And I think I've seen a lot of people, a lot of us grow from, from trying to decolonize ourselves and our practices. So maybe just going around and seeing how people choose to cope with stressors, whether it's stress or really, really intense traumas. Hello, it's Bobby. Self-care is one of those topics that, it's one of those things that have been branded, but that you've probably been doing already. I have various ways in which I like to practice self-care, I guess we'll talk more about later. That makes me think of how people probably have been I have been coping with systemic effects for a long time, but not really yet naming it as like an intentional practice. And it is often our self-image, our body image, how we cope with the conditions that we experience is kind of filtered into consumerism and consumption under capitalism. So I'm really happy to hear it being talked about in a more intentional way. How do we create communal support spaces with each other that we don't have to have money to have access to leisure, to go somewhere, to have a spa, de-stress in ourselves. And then also, how do we, how do I learn to name and recognize thought patterns of stress when they're happening to me? That's kind of been helpful to me in terms of thinking of self-care as stress thought patterns in response to like environments and situations and finding ways to not always feel like I have to be moved by the expectations and pressures that exist right now and that it's okay to say no or remove yourself from a space or be like, hey, I would love to meet this expectation, but right now is not a good time for me. And just creating a process of checking in with myself and also checking in interpersonally with the people around me, you know, talking about those expectations instead of just letting those expectations or relationships cause you to move and then have to deal with the stress later in a non-consensual way. Yeah, I just wanted to say that my personal definition of self-care, I guess, is uh, like the way, the ways in which I care for myself. And so I feel like um, self-care is kind of this place or this like uh, reality that I recede into when, when traumatic events occur, you know, or um, when, you know, the stress of, the build-up stress of uh, daily life is, you know, comes to the boiling point or it causes a breakdown or so, of sorts. Um, 
I was recently reading about uh, SPD, which is a schizo personality disorder. It has dif- it's like different from schizophrenia, so that's why I was reading about it because I wanted to know the difference basically. But uh, one of the things that differentiates schizo or SPD uh, pe- people with SPD uh, is people with SPD often have uh, like an, another world that they like can actually go into and react with and it doesn't respond to emotions the way our world responds to emotions so it's actually like a whole other reality that they interact with and it has nothing to do with like uh, this notion of like insanity or anything like that so it's this basically this ability that people with SPD actually have in order to develop their own personal self-care defense mechanisms. Like their body has to actually willingly put them there because their personality disorder has, you know, it just makes them, it makes them have to uh, deal with life events differently than we do. So I think in that way, their self-care doesn't necessarily reflect my own personal self-care. So it's been kind of a struggle for myself to, uh, like, figure out the ways in which community interacts with my personal self-care because I've always learned and I've always dealt with things on my own and with myself. So uh, I've never really seen like a need to go out outside of that to like deal with something like stress, right? Like what, what use do I have necessarily of applying the stress of my life to the people around me, right? And we actually see the negative effects of that like growing up as kids, your parents actually take out their stresses on you. So we do see the actual like negative implications of what that leads to. Obviously, that's not saying it can't be done in a reasonable way. You know, people talk about their problems all the time. But Bobby, when I think of self care, I think of self love and self empowerment. And so I feel like I've been on my journey for my own path. A lot of times when we think, how do you take care of yourself or treat yourself, it does include participating in the capitalist system. I attribute a Tumblr a lot to my self-care because there's so much resources in that, so many ways where I can find out how, if I want to do a spa day, how I can give myself a spa day at home with everything that I can buy with EBT. And I also find ways in which I can find community with other people because there's other people going through the trauma of just living in the system, which can be traumatic and depending on your class, your race, your gender, and just who you are, that's just exaggerated. Also, I have found that animal companions help a lot. I'm surrounded by three lovely animal dog friends all the time, and I accredit them to helping me through my PTSD, depression, trauma, whatever, and just their energy and their unconditional love that they give you, it's helped. Mm -hmm. I was going to bring up ideas of consumer culture and how that's kind of commodified a lot of healing practices and self-care that people already used to do. Often at times, some of these self-care methods are really representative of bourgeois notions of what self-care is. When I was living in my last place I was living at, a lot of 
the people that were living there were trying to impose particular methods of self-care upon me because I know that we have as people who are within radical spaces or organizing spaces or what have you we've experienced a lot of trauma from the police police brutality and having to see that and engage with that on the daily too just from riding trains what other ways people choose to to cope with that uh, I breathe. <laughs> that's the no, first that's thing. that's a good... <laughs> Which is very hard for people to do. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to focus... I mean, it's deliberately hard to focus on healing under the current intersecting hierarchy of white supremacist, hetero-capitalist, and ableist empowering oppression. Those are just a series of words to represent how many different oppressions affect people, What I've learned from my body is that if I don't try to create autonomous, not co-opted self-care kind of methods, then my body will try to heal itself through various forms I don't understand, like depression or mental fluidity, or this brings up mental health. So things that I've learned is to when I am feeling overwhelmed or sad or stressed, so I get frustrated with myself. And so I've been learning to give myself space to feel those things and not add additional stress in response to the fact that I'm recognizing that I'm stressed out. And so I don't think there's anything wrong with sleeping. Like if you're overwhelmed by your environment, removing yourself and taking a nap. If you have access to these things or these spaces or these resources, and that's the biggest barrier to creating communal health and secure spaces is access and how resources are distributed. I would even suggest a bath. I know that we are in a drought, um, Mm -hmm. but I do want to say that someone was telling me they were really stressed out, and I was like, you know what? I've been taking cold baths, and I don't fill the water or the tub up all the way or anything. Yeah, like like brief cold baths. Um, And then they were like, well, what are you doing? It's a drought. And I was just like, okay. So I cannot... I cannot carry the weight of industrial capitalism Mm. to the point where, like, I can't take a bath. Mm. You know, there is a serious water crisis, and, like, that crisis has been happening for since this land was colonized and how the water system was set up. But if we want to look at the biggest waste of water, it's industry. It's the serious, huge corporations that are processing and manufacturing and producing in a model that doesn't use water in a way that helps people, basically. That's a perfect example to me about how we can't blame ourselves about the effects of capitalism to the point that we deny ourselves water. Individual use and, you know, calming your body down and taking space is a good enough reason to use water, in my opinion. Um, I have Bobby and then Anton. Yeah. And just because you brought up water, also Beverly Hills is using, what, 346 gallons of water per household compared to 45 for East Los Angeles. So, I mean... And baths conserve water more than showers do. So part of self-care also is not letting other people make you feel bad about the way you practice your self-care. And that's part of loving yourself. My self-care has been not to be quiet and to call things out real time. Because a lot of what the society does is slowly try to break you down. And all of the microaggressions are meant to silence you. And that isn't good for your own self-worth or how you feel about yourself to constantly get broken down by all of the challenges that you go through. So for me, a lot of times, 
it's to the point, honestly, where I can't help it. If I'm on the metro and I get off and I see a sheriff and he's arresting an older black gentleman, which happened, and I just can't help but yell, you know, at them. And I do that for my own sanity because I need to say this is not okay and I need to not normalize it. And I need for people around who are just gaslighting me by acting like this is normal to also know this is not okay. And I feel like a lot of what the society does is gaslight us. And being people who are trying to deconstruct the environment that we're living in, we're constantly being gaslit. And part of that is calling out what is really happening and trying to verbally deconstruct all of that and writing it down for yourself to share your words and ideas. Anton? Uh, yeah, just, I guess, quickly in response to that, gaslighting is, uh, it's like when people try to make you feel like you're crazy, like you are you are like, what you're saying is not correct or normal or whatever. It's a form of emotional abuse, right? Mm-hmm. So that's uh, something that the state, that's a tactic that the state uses against people. So you can see the need for self-care is the ways, all the tactics in which Uh, the state uses to put people down or oppress groups. Uh, That's all forms of mental, emotional, and psychological abuse, sometimes physical abuse. And, uh, you know, they're traumatic experiences, these things. Like, they uh, have psychological traumatic traumatic, uh, effects on your brain and your emotions and your body. And uh, I think, like, yeah, uh, I thought you brought up a good point, too, of... um, like not no one really is able to codify your self-care into the self-care library of things that people like self-care about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of it is uh, what you're talking about. I guess the commodification of self-care is people are like, oh, yes, like uh, these bath salts like will help you, you know, that I have in my traveling truck here and I'm ready to sell you. <clears throat> but. Uh, one of the ways to conserve water taking a bath is, like, filling the tub up, like, this much of warm water and just laying your back in it because your back, like, actually just has, like, most of the stress in your body. Uh, that's what I use. That's one of the things that I use. Um, and just you just soak your back, and it's supposed to help with, like, when you stretch. So, like, stretches your muscles out. Um, yeah, other than that. To talk about, to bring up intersectionality, the notion of mental health, I feel like, does play into, like, self-care and, like, the ways in which people, like, exercise self-care because there's no real way, like, the sad thing is we have these, like, descriptive words that, like, mean nothing to me, like, insanity or, like, uh, crazy or, like, what you're talking about, all the ways in which, like, the state and other individuals who use state tactics, like, uh, make people feel like they're dumb or smaller uh, is, like these forms of emotional abuse, and I feel like people with uh, mental health conditions, they kind of bear the brunt of that, you know, of that, like, gaslighting, like, everything that you feel is, you know, crazy, it's not normal, Um, and there's no real, there's, like, I feel like only disabled people can determine what is good self-care for them, you know, like, no state institution, I guess, can, like, define for you what, how to treat yourself, I guess, in that way. Um... So, yeah, just some things I've been thinking about. Um, J-Ray and then Bobby. Yeah, you can also go first. No, you go. Like, I really like that we're making a broader conversation of, like, these are also state tactics that are done deliberately and that benefit this overarching structure for us to feel bad. Like, it benefits this whole structure of oppression and hierarchy for us to feel bad. And that 
that's why they would want to control how we self-care or like funnel how we self-care. And a lot of the methods in terms of medicine, medicine that has been packaged into pills, all that stuff comes from some sort of chemical, comes from some sort of natural substance, comes from the earth. So a lot of these practices were literally destroyed and colonized and then funneled into capitalism to make products. So they've been kept from us to make us feel bad, and then they come in and give them to us. And then there's also how we've learned like systemically to be really ableist about like people responding differently to conditions or people having different you know, physical, emotional, or neurological um, ways of processing things. And even in terms of how we've learned to look at our own mental health and the stigma that exists or post-traumatic stress and trying to take off the disorder part of it because mm-hmm. it's language and we did a whole show on language, but it's also this categorization of us in terms of how we respond to our conditions but ignoring the fact that the conditions and the toxic environment that we live in, we're, we're responding to that. Mm-hmm. And then we blame ourselves and we're the ones with disorders, not the industrial capitalist white supremacist system. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like misallocating the blame, basically. I agree. Like who is profiting off of our sicknesses, our ailments, our ways we look at ourselves in terms of, of beauty or self-worth, who is actually profiting when we're buying the things that, you know, will dye our hair to make our hair look lighter so that we're perceived a different way. What ways are we starting to practice particular self-care that might actually be embracing particular dominant form or standard of beauty? I just think about, well, some of y'all might know that I'm auditing a class called Daughters of Africa. I've been reading a lot of black women writers like Bell Hooks and June Jordan, Tony Kate Bambara. And like Bell Hooks talks so extensively about how important it is for black people to use an oppositional gaze when you're watching a lot of these movies because we're being so influenced by a lot of the images that we see and a lot of the representations of ourselves that are being put out there as black people that it's like it's important to to be oppositional when you're taking this in and not to just be a passive spectator when you're you're watching this you want to just unlearn a lot of these things that society is telling you to be just think of ways in which i cope with traumas or stresses is is through creative means. I'm learning from an experience and I'm going to create either an image or write something that is going to make it exist only in this particular art form, only in this particular poem, and I'm going to cast it away. It's kind of like a little ritual. And I feel like people have been doing that for for a really long time. It's just, you know, it's how people who have been coping under the weight of all of these systems of domination, how they cope with so much trauma. For example, there's people, when they were slaves, they were using rhythm as a means to continue on. When they were working on trains or making their masters food, they were always using rhythm as a way to cope with that consistent day-to-day chattel slavery that they were going through. And I still think that's replicated today in how people deal with stress. Bobby? Yeah, a lot of times on my way walking or if I have the opportunity to listen to music while working, I'll listen to Kanye because a lot of his music is very empowering and it'll change how my attitude will be while I'm walking the street and there's men catcalling me or harassing me and I'm walking down to a new slave and it's just like, you can't touch me. And then it makes me think of art. I feel like a lot of why black art is so unreplicatable 
because mm-hmm. it comes through our struggle. And then when you look at appropriation, especially by white culture, it makes sense why they have to always appropriate other people's culture and mm-hmm. other people's art because their idea of what struggle is is just... Mm-hmm. There isn't any. No, it's limited. <laughs> yeah, it's limited. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, I mean, I was being nice. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> but same with comedy. A lot of times in the shows, I know if you listen to our shows regularly, we'll be talking about serious topics, but we'll be laughing. And for me, laughing is how I cope. And there was this one documentary that happened a few years ago, Why We Laugh, and it was with different black comedians. And I think comedy is born out of struggle. I think that is the one thing that you have to be a person who suffers to understand comedy and to be really good at it. So I think that art is a beautiful way to practice self-care. And it depends on where I am and which form it will take. I also wanted to talk about mental health and how these are connected. A lot of times I'll hear people talking about their mental health and feeling like they need to go to a therapist and get something prescribed. And that's just what we've been taught. There are some people, especially in white culture, where they've been on antidepressants since they were eight. And that permanently alters your brain. And they've been seeing therapists ever since they were a little kid. And therapists, to me, have always seemed like sort of like a thing where it's like you just don't really have anyone to talk to. So you have to pay this person to talk to, you know, like to be able to vent, you know. Mm -hmm. And really what we need more in the society of is like empathy. Um, Mm -hmm. of each other and like being able to like communicate with each other and we don't have that Um, and so like a lot of times like just for one like you can take basil and basil uh, basil gives um, will naturally produce uh, what's the thing that E gives you like endorphins serotonin dopamine and so like basil if you chew basil raw basil it will um, give you dopamine and stuff so there's different things like in plants and natures that you can find that will do the same things that you know, your doctor will prescribe for you. Mm-hmm. Burning lavender in the house. Mm. Mm. Uh, chamomile tea. Sage, for me, will relax me really instantly. Sage is pretty helpful, used by indigenous cultures throughout the world. Mm-hmm. If you look at, like, it kind of reminds me of when I'm getting a cold and how if it might take a little longer But if I do plant remedies, lemon and honey, or I've been putting garlic cloves in my ears, I don't know how effective it is, but it's prevented me from getting a couple earaches that I Mm. thought might escalate into throat hurting. But if I can't upkeep my immune system with those natural remedies, I'll, you know, end up getting like Advil or getting like, and like for whatever people have accessible to like make yourself feel better, like do that. But I've noticed that I'll take it and it'll maybe make me feel better, but it'll wipe out my immune system. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'll be sick longer if I'm taking, like, pharmaceutical-type medication versus, like, if I try to just rebuild my immune system to fight it itself. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of reminds me of mental health. People have different needs in terms of what the state and the society provides in terms of therapy and medication, but we probably, as bodies and as peoples and as interpersonal communities, have other remedies that we could do to deal with depression or to prevent it because I think I think our conditions kind of create depression Mm -hmm. Um, I really like that gaslighting was brought up they were kind of misled to blame ourselves that of being affirmed this is a toxic environment who's responsible and how do we change that especially in terms of work when we go to work we can't really be people if someone says something inappropriate or oppressive or misogynist or I don't feel like I can shut it down. And so that constant silencing, that contributes to me having to create separate time to self-care. I don't know what our environment would be like if we could 
always be responding in a way that is healthful, always kind of responding to the conflict that exists that we see. But in certain spaces like work, when your labor and your body is commodified and you have to rent it out for like a wage, you're kind of more limited in what you can say. That's a huge contributor to stress because you can't really actually be an authentic being Mm. in that environment. Yeah, work is interesting because it's like you said, you're automatically not in a safer, you know, environment. And then a lot of what people do in terms of the intensive labor that they do put into their work, when they're doing that for years, they acquire this uh, some sort of physical and or mental or emotional disability. And again, who is profiting off of those ailments when they start occurring? It's these pharmaceutical companies. It's the healthcare industry. Anton. <clears throat> yeah, I just wanted to talk a, a little bit about um like social anxieties and like uh the ways in which humans can like be fearful of other humans i guess mm-hmm. um but it's just something that was brought up was like uh, therapy and like normally i feel i agree with that sentiment that i feel like therapy is kind of like someone is just trying to make money there because I don't really see the purpose of, like, paying someone how much money, you know, for... But really that they're paying for, like, the prescription, right? And that's, like, kind of, like, the the negative side of, like, therapy and, like... Um, well, I was going to say, just therapists and psychiatrists, psychiatrists are different. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. psychiatrists, they can prescribe, but that's therapists, different. they can't. Yeah. Okay, so um, then, the ther- then therapy, I feel like, is different because therapy can exist in outside of a capitalist structure, right? Um, does, as someone who is in a, like, monogamous relationship with, like, one individual, one of the things that I have learned through that relationship is, like, the need to, uh, really individualize, like, my own self-care, because there's not, you can't rely on one other person necessarily to always be there for your self-care, for yourself. And so, um, the, with, with therapy, I feel like it is sometimes helpful to seek, that kind of emotional self-care with someone who is outside of your community because um, they can offer a different perspective if they're listening or maybe they don't have to listen and it's not really that important. You just need to get it out. You know, that's helpful too. Um, but I think where it gets negative is the psychiatry where someone's trying to make a buck off of like the things that like they're analy- they're psychoanalyzing like what you say and assigning the symptoms to like a mental condition that they can then prescribe medication for. And, um, oh my gosh. Um, I'm in their photo. Uh, <laughs> so, um, I think like that stuff, it like, that is, that's kind of what, what leads to, I feel like these social anxieties when it comes up to therapy is that like people sometimes with mental disabilities or mental conditions that are could be simply remedied through like communicating or conversing with other humans they're like you know instead given this like backdoor approach and told in fact they shouldn't associate with humans you know or like their humans might exacerbate their condition um and so yeah i think like uh for example uh kids in high school in my high school had down syndrome right um and i felt like it would have probably been easier and uh, in a lot of ways to like ha- like in- incorporate those like children's development in other kids' development if that was like at all possible. 
uh, as opposed to what I experienced in high school, which was like just mass separation on both sides, you know? And so it's like, well, then you're expecting these children to like continue to learn nothing about this like disease, you know? And then they get to just go off. They get to leave school with whatever uh, like opinions or like negative uh, prejudices against those people that they had when they went in because there was never any you know, education put, there's never any, like, work put forward to, like, educate kids about something that's different from them, you know, from something that's different from what you could have or how you could think or how you could interact with the world. Um, and then, you know, now we, I feel like I personally am now ill-equipped to deal with or handle, like, situations of, like, an ex- emergency medical nature with people who are differently abled from me because I never necessarily, I've only ever been taught to, like, care for myself, you know. And even in schools, I feel like reinforce that narrative of like the community is not necessarily who you look for when you need help. What you need when you need help, mm-hmm. you should go to what they say the police. <laughs> the police. Yeah, we're <laughs> <part of> the <laughs> so I mean, you know, you can't always trust like you know the state prescribed like self care. I guess. Yeah. I think what is always the default is pretty much the same institutions that very often cause or exploit that stress or trauma. There isn't, there isn't like, oh, we'll build community with people that you know who might share your same social conditions mm-hmm. and try to heal from there. It's just always like, go to the state, go to the state, go to health doctor person. Something that you brought up reminds me of other ways in which people cope just with, you know, the interlocking systems of domination and oppression you think about a lot of people are experiencing these imposing dynamics differently and sometimes they like to form different groups with each other to provide safe space and share and i feel like when black people or like queer people or any other social um marginalized social category tries to find space for that there's always a kind of contention especially with groups that don't experience particular traumas of these these uh, structures of domination and i've found so much healing and just being in the same spaces as people who might be queer trans people of color or might be yeah black or women identifying spaces just because we're trying to get out of a space in which people don't understand that particular trauma and i think it's important to share goals you want to reach for yourself as well as tactics in which how to combat you know these impositions at times bobby yeah it makes me think of also how um people kind of like self-medicate in ways that you know like and it like, you know, because we don't necessarily have communities in our society um, and there's like isolation that then that towards it leads to um, people self-medicating in other ways with, you know, like drugs and um, and, you know, maybe like, you know, and that takes forms of like addictions. And um, and like, I think part of I think of practicing self-care is too is not just is not being too hard on yourself you know and understanding that uh, we are all just people trying to survive and exist and you know and cope and make it and you know in the ways that we can which has had me have like a lot more empathy um for people in my life you know um, who have suffered from addiction you know um because i just understand that that's just how they're dealing with their struggle you know 
um, and haven't had other opportunities or means to be able to deal with it. And um, it also, oh, I can't think, wow, I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, just to directly respond, um, for me, I feel like the one thing that I feel like is helpful for in terms of communal self-care is empathy. I think like empathy is actually like very helpful. Um, I've like read stuff on Tumblr that's like, oh, like you smiled at me like in the hall today and that like convinced me that I'm not going to kill myself, you know, and these Mm -hmm. things like they're real, you know, it's like that, that one moment could change, you know, like so much in someone's life. And so I think like, you know, not necessarily like always have a smile on your face, but, you know, always be open to empathizing with another person's like individual struggle and, you know, know that I guess you're not alone in like a lot of it because um, I think, yeah, like there's these addictions that come up and that's something that I feel like an addiction is like a community concern, you know, and and that's something that's not really talked about is like we put addiction in this like individual category. You got yourself there and you need to like claw your way out, you know, Um, and that's not that's not really fair. You know, if you've ever had an addiction, you know how hard it can be to do that on your own. So, you know, I don't, I personally, I wouldn't understand why we wouldn't make that a community thing. Um, But, you know, I can see why, you know, I guess I can see why people turn, I I have empathy for people who turn to those methods uh, to cope with their situation or their life standing or whatever. Um, And the reason I do is because uh, rather than, you know, some previous experience in my life, I just feel like I have, I have empathy for, you know, their individual struggle. Uh, not necessarily saying that every one of them is going to be my best friend. Of course not, you know, but that's not what empathy is, you know, that empathy is not friendship. Uh, so I think like just talking about empathy is good in ter- for like self-care, you know, cause, um, I know like for my self-care, it's good. It's important to have friends who empathize with me, you know, or people around me who empathize with me. Mm-hmm. One of the most empowering things about communal spaces or intentional communities or just people that share conditions or overlapping conditions is that, and one of the most empowering things about collective living for me when I first discovered it was there were enough people that it wasn't just throwing some weight on like one other person. We would all come home. We created a space where that was encouraged. That was okay. That was a space to kind of deposit and relieve and shake off what the daily interactions were like. Because we had that space, we started getting called insular a lot. So there's like these reactions to trying to create spaces that are intentional about supporting multiple people and how that's exclusive from society. But I don't think it does exclude us from society. It's just helping us to go back into society and to also be open and honest about oppositional ideas to what causes these feelings um, Mm -hmm. of stress and depression and just general... (laughs) Hatred. Mm-hmm. Hatred of the <laughs> conditions that we're in. Also anger. Like, we haven't touched on anger. I feel like this could go so far. But I did explore therapy when I was younger. That was okay. But now that I am more understanding that I'm not just an individual and that I do have shared connections with other people, I think about therapy kind of like what was brought up is that we aren't taught to look to ourselves or to look to our community and actually mm-hmm. create trusting, open, emotional connections 
we're kind of it's like specialized labor. There is this one therapist, there is this one psychiatrist. You have to qualify to have access to this knowledge, this special knowledge, which it isn't. And especially with therapists, if we look at the structure of capitalism and white supremacy and who has access to get into these positions and who has the funding to get into these positions or to go into these schools to learn the official knowledge, how can someone who's a person of color go to this primarily white institution and talk about racism, honestly? Or how can, um, for me, I've like completely given up on like official therapists only because I don't think there's a therapist that understands like revolutionary trauma or like wanting revolutionary change. And so it's kind of really limited how I look at the official institutions of self-care because if you can't be honest, one, about your conditions, then how could you be honest about wanting to change them? Especially when some of these institutions, especially mental health, work so closely with the police knowing the police tend to murder people who are considered disabled by society. You know, so it's just like a whole bunch of mess. And this is why it's really important for us to explore our own tactics and just to, one, cope with the conditions that exist and find people who share our conditions and empower and support each other so that we can survive, but also so we can do more than survive and we can oppose, I don't even know what a more accessible word would be, but the path that this hierarchical system that uses violence to maintain itself is going. It's still going in the path. It's like going full steam ahead. And to even stop that, we haven't even talked about burnout or mental health or stress in terms of trying to organize against these conditions. I know that my experiences with stress come from that too, but if we're going to organize ourselves to defend ourselves and to survive, I feel like we have to plan into that strategy, like being supportive of self-care, especially if there's police conflict. I know that the movement has not helped my self-care or like my post-traumatic stress or anything like that, whatever I mean by this larger movement. But how do we create a movement that is not, and then you go home and do self-care, you know, or then it's up to you to fend for yourself to design self-care for you and your affinity group or something. Like how do we make it an encouraged part of our rebellion? What I take from what you say in regard to one of my ways in which I do cope with traumas is organizing against the things that are trying to destroy me. But then there's a lot of things that are trying to literally uh, destroy me and literally make me feel. So I can't, I know that I can't take all of it on, but can't possibly call out every act of racism or sexism that I do see. But just w in terms of where I'm at and how I'm feeling, I can engage, like you said, I can act out against somebody that's being arrested or I can act out against a, a man who's being really sexist to a woman on the street. That's my way in which I'm coping with this kind of trauma that has affected me. And seeing that other people struggle for liberation is directly interlaced with with my own we start seeing a more holistic approach at healing and coping when we do have a really intense action and then we try to debrief and give people the space to actually express themselves and how they're feeling and vent about it encourage that and organizing against things that are trying to displace or destroy us as particular descriptive or political categories. I think that is as like a, a coping skill or a mechanism. It is very, it helps with empowerment for a group to agitate against those things. Bobby, and then I think we're, unless other people had anything that they wanted to add after. Um, yeah, thinking of, um, oh, 
I remember, like, uh, J. Ray, you said something about, like, work. And, like, sometimes, you know, you're not able to, like, you know, say things because of the environment you are. And a lot of times, like, in my head, I'll just say it, you know? Mm. So, like, um, and, or, like, I'll, like, jot it down, you know, and write it, you know? And, like, and it's obviously not as good as it would feel to be able to just say it to that person real time, you know? But it does give me some sort of relief. Um, And when I think about... uh, like sort of just like organizing in general um, and in relation to self-care. Um, I think there's like also sort of like for me, at least a sort of like despair. Um, and part of that despair, I feel like of just like, uh, you know, like sort of um, participating in organizing or like what's organizing even mean or, you know, what uh, what is my place, you know, in, in this movement? that um, I feel like I don't even know what it would look like to be a part of a movement that would include something that cares enough about self-care, you know? And um, and so, and, and that's sad, um, but I do think that, you know, that self-care is like, um, it started, it's like changing. I do think that is changing. Um, and so that gives me hope. Uh, <laughs> but um, also, I think, like, when I think of groups that are also um, sort of very, like, isolated, um, it's, like, people who are, like, suicidal. And I feel like something, suicide is one of those things that, like, you are not supposed to talk about. You're not supposed to say out loud. Um, and usually if you do say, oh, you know, I have suicidal thoughts or whatever, it's immediate, like, well, why? Or, like, what's wrong? Or, like, are you crazy? Do you need help? Go talk to a therapist. And it's, like, you know, and kind of what you brought up before, too, Jerry, about, like, yeah, you know, like, um, like I've seen therapists before, too, and it's, like, I can't talk to a therapist about why I'm depressed because you're not even going to understand, like, how am I going to talk to you about the PTSD I just went through from, like, after, like, Trayvon Martin, you know, and, like, how am I going to talk to you about, like, how it is to have, like, the high of taking the streets and then to lose that high and not knowing when you're going to be able to get it back again. Um, And so I think that, like, we sort of look at suicide as this thing that is sort of a... It's like the other, you know, like there it's, you know, we either pity people who are suicidal or we try to figure out how we can like fix them, you know. And I think that's because a lot of like our own guilt around people who want to like take their life, you know. And and I think that if people are honest with themselves, most people have had suicidal thoughts and that um, and that it's instead of shaming people in the same that we do about addiction, you know, we need to allow safe space for people to be able to talk about that. Cause maybe, cause sometimes just saying, Hey, I feel like killing myself is enough. You know, maybe that's all you really needed. Um, and giving people the space to do that without necessarily having to give them a label of something being wrong with them at the same time. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jamie. It's really important to destigmatize suicide um, or suicidal thoughts or, I can only speak for myself, but I do know that there's a lot of shame around it, and I feel like that is almost enough to push someone to go through with it because, like, we don't make space for the thoughts. And taking a look at human supremacy, this culture of cement and capital that we've built and everything that comes with that, but also as organisms, just as organisms and as the human species, there's a lot of other species that if the environment is too toxic, they won't bird their young or they'll eat their young. 
uh, there's actually a practice amongst other species of if you are torturing an animal and they are in this small, tiny container and they procreate, they will off their own children. They're not children. Offspring. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They'll, they'll do that because they don't want their mm-hmm. young to be raised in this toxic environment. So we've like stigmatized these feelings of self-destruction so much, but we are, we are, we are born in an environment. We are non-consensually born in an environment that is very destructive. So instead of, again, blaming the individual, like how do we create supportive space for that? and that emotional response, and then how do we look at the systemic causes of that? Maybe the environment is responsible for causing this response in us as organisms in this environment. Definitely. Yeah, maybe. Maybe, definitely. I feel feel definitely. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I also wanted to bring up other less emphasized or spotlighted ways in which people often do self-care in terms of self-harm as well as harm to consenting harm to other people in terms of or not harm, but like uh, pain. Pain is used as a way to cope. Masochism. Yeah, or BDSM. And like I find I find my interest in BDSM is often the imagery, but also in how consent is very much the mark of this kink culture and also how it's viewed as kinky or, you know, different or deviates from the norm. Yeah, when it deviates from the norm, when in actuality, it's probably the one thing within subcultures that actually incorporates consent, real consent into how we engage sexually or even non-sexually. This is how people cope with often imposed dominating hierarchies. Sometimes they want to be in dominant positions and sometimes they don't. Sometimes they want to be in submissive positions because of a lot of dynamics that are often imposed upon them. Um, Bobby? I shouldn't say quickly, but I also find that times like a lot of people who are in positions of like power and privilege, you know, uh, also sort of like uh, their role in BDS um, towards to be like sub you know because like that is their taste of like not being able to be you know like the dominant person uh which i think i think is interesting yeah mm-hmm. i was gonna say also like the idea of having some self like in terms of self-care like self-control over the pain helps people cope with like yes. past traumas and someone the other day asked me if i wanted to do roller derby and i'd never thought about it and i was like oh i don't know it seems like it'd be getting like beat up a lot and like bruised a lot What's weird about police trauma is that if you get beaten by a cop, there's multiple layers of punishment. There's the actual assault, and then there's the bruising. And the bruising, you carry that bruising for, like, weeks. And every time you move, you're reminded, and it's punishing. It's meant to be punishing. And then if you end up getting actually incarcerated, then they're prosecuting you. And the prosecution is an entire aspect on its own. And then there's the conditions they put you in, right, which is the court first or if you're in custody. We can try to find ways to cope with trauma we've experienced, um, and that's empowering to us as individuals, but those systemic structures still stand. How do we do both, basically, counter those systemic structures? And if you want to start thinking about self-care, I don't know how other people feel about this. My friend told me kind of like a star with five points And so if you want to start reflecting on what works for you, I think for me it starts by just having a conversation with yourself about like what works and what doesn't work and then trying things and not getting hard on yourself. And they said mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, and then also interpersonal, how we relate with others. And then just like 
you know, not there's no rigidity to any of this, but just as a way to start thinking of different parts of yourself that might have different needs um, that are probably suffering in different ways from this social structure. Mm -hmm. Because some people's particular aspects of the self-care star are maybe a little bit more developed or underdeveloped, if that's if that's okay wording. Unexplored. Unexplored. Yeah, that's a better word. Okay, well, thank you all for listening to On Resistance. And if you want to listen to past shows, please go to uh, soundcloud.com slash on-resistance. Check us out on Twitter, On Resistance LA. Tumblr, our website. On Resistance Radio. Tumblr.com. Okay. <laughs> oh, if you want to shoot us an email, email us at onresistance at gmail.com. So in closing, I guess just try to look at yourself in the mirror. And when's the last time you told yourself that you love yourself? Maybe try doing that, you know, and see what happens. Maybe there's some, because I've actually practiced this and uh, it was like a minute, one whole minute of saying I love myself over and over again. And I, 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 it was, I got really, really emotional because I was like, I don't remember the last time I've, I've ever said that to myself. So, mm. yeah, it's an interesting practice. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Bye. 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 I'm something. I hope you think that you're something to me.